dudes and dudettes, welcome back. This is episode 125, 125 of The Anxious Truth. Welcome back to the show. Today's topic is anxiety surrounding medical procedures, but we're going to approach it in a little different way. I have a guest with me today. That is Dr. Frank Catanzaro. He is an anesthesiologist, been practicing in Rochester, New York for the past 25 plus years. The man knows what he's talking about. Uh, We're specifically going to talk about that fear and the anxiety, the panic that comes along with having to undergo an actual medical procedure, like a surgery or some sort of outpatient procedure. And we're going to talk to Dr. C, Dr. Catanzaro, about uh, the role of the anesthesiologist, because in the end, those are the men and women that are dealing with the anxiety in the operating room, in the surgical suite, when the procedure is getting done, uh, and as much as everybody is super nervous about the fact that, like, what if I panic during my procedure, uh, the anesthesiologists have seen it all. So I reached out to Dr. C, who, full disclosure, also happens to be my cousin. <laughs> so I reached out to my cousin, Dr. Catanzaro, to uh, talk about this. And I said, well, it'd be really interesting to you know hear your experiences and your point of view, and how do you guys deal with this sort of thing when you have somebody who is dealing with you know a high level of anxiety or even panic over their procedure? How do you deal with it? And he was like, ah. Oh, that we see, we do see it every day. So I thought it would be an interesting discussion. Uh, we'll have him on in a second. Just a quick note before we get started. You know I got to do it. TheAnxiousTruth.com slash recovery guide. Uh, that is the book that I have written. It's also called The Anxious Truth, a step-by-step guide to understanding and overcoming anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia. Uh, it is basically everything you've ever heard me say on a podcast or in social media, except in much greater detail and laid out logically like you are taking a college course on how to recover from your anxiety disorder. So if you're looking for more help than just the podcast and all my social media stuff, by all means, check it out. TheAnxiousTruth.com slash recovery guide. Okay, we got that out of the way. All right, let's bring Dr. Catanzaro on, and we're going to talk about anxiety surrounding medical procedures and how the professionals actually handle it. So let's get cooking. Okay, Dr. Frank, Frank Catanzaro, my cousin. Love you, dude. From from upstate New York. <laughs> nice enough to join us today. We're going to talk about uh, people who get super anxious or even panic at the thought of a medical procedure, having it done in the OR and the operating suite. So what up, Frank? Hi, Drew. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Seems so um, strange. <laughs> it was, on the air. Yeah. You know, I uh, got your text last week and I thought, what could this be about? And this probably would have been the last thing I thought it would have been about. But it's my pleasure to uh, to talk to you about it today. Well, I appreciate that. So let's get into it. Uh, let's give people just a little bit of a background. You've been pr- a practicing anesthesiologist for many years, yes? Yes, I finished my residency training in 1994, so it's 26 years now. Wow. Okay. You're old, dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only got a year or two. I'm, I'm not too far behind. <laughs> uh, so this is a thing. Like the people who are listening to the, my podcast and reading the books and following me on social media, there there's a built-in you know uh, assumption that these folks are dealing with some sort of anxiety disorder like panic disorder or agoraphobia. And invariably, on the daily, I'm going to see people making comments and posts like in my Facebook community about upcoming medical procedures. The worst nightmare for a person with agoraphobia or panic disorder is often they have to have some sort of medical procedure, you know, where they're, where they're in either an outpatient facility or they're in a hospital and it's a full blown thing with an overnight stay or multiple overnight stays. And they feel that, Oh my goodness, like I'm, I'm going to panic. I'm going to have so much anxiety. How am I going to do it? What's going to happen? I'm guessing that you guys are dealing with this on the daily. 
constantly, every day. And I have to tell you, Drew, it's not just patients with agoraphobia or any kind of phobia. It's people who, you know, consider themselves free of all those phobias that all of a sudden, when it comes time for surgery, start to feel the same way an agoraphobic does. Okay, see, there you go. So are you seeing, you're seeing very high degrees of anticipatory anxiety. I'm guessing you've had people literally have go into full-blown panic in the OR. Um, oh, this is common. absolutely. And very common. Uh, they almost, I, I, daily might be an exaggeration, but certainly a regular occasion, multiple times a week. Yeah, yeah. So this is nothing new. No. I'm guessing that, I mean, clearly there's usually a medical team involved. Someone has a primary care physician, they have a surgeon involved, they have maybe a specialist involved. You're part of the team in anesthesiology. Um, but I, I think in the end, is it your, ultimately this is on you as the anesthesiologist. You're the one who ultimately has to deal with this, I'm guessing. Yes, I think that you're correct. It starts with whoever they see first. They go and they have a knee issue, so they go to see their orthopedic surgeon. And then they, this orthopedic surgeon is going to schedule them for surgery, so they have a pre-op appointment at the hospital or the surgery center, wherever the surgery center takes place. So then they need a nurse practitioner, they need a nurse. And for us, we have a, we have anesthesia nurse practitioners who see the patients for us preoperatively. So they're being introduced a little bit to the anesthetic and the plan, but really until they meet the anesthesiologist who's taking care of them. I can't tell you the number of times that I said, has anybody talked here? And they say no. So they're hearing it for the first time when I walk in the room to introduce myself. I'd say wow. just about all the time. They might have been introduced to it. Orthopedic surgery, we're doing a lot of regional anesthesia. We're doing nerve blocks or, or spinals. And, and sometimes the surgeons will mention that in the office or their, or their PA will mention it in the office. But for the most part, the surgeons don't address anesthesia, so they don't hear it until they get to our pre-op, and then they really don't get into a discussion with it until they meet us. And I think that's part of the, the anxiety and the, and the dread is they really don't know what we're doing or what to expect. No, it's all it's kind of foreign. So, yeah, exactly. They're going into the unknown. And for the folks that are listening to me, a lot of times they're just away from their safe zone, which is maybe close to home or uh, with a safe person, you know, their loved ones that, that they feel keep them safe, that sort of thing. Uh, they're prone to literally have panic attacks, so it's actual full-blown panic. And one of the things that I have heard is real trepidation. They also often have a real phobia of medications. So now it's a double whammy because you can help, but there's a fear of what are they going to give me? Like, what is this going to be? Yeah. So uh, I'm yeah. guessing you're hearing that. I mean, how do you address that? Because clearly you have to give somebody something. That's what anesthesia mm -hmm. is. It's a medication of some kind. Yeah. Ultimately, we have to give something. Now, I have patients. It's funny I, that, that you text me this one because I have a, a patient who I'm pretty much their exclusive anesthesiologist. And this patient suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and also has a, a very high uh, needle phobia. So when he comes for surgery, he cannot have an IV placed before he goes to sleep. And he's... I mean, from the, he'll start texting me days before because we have that kind of relationship. And I have to start trying to calm him down days before. And when he gets there, I can give him nothing. He doesn't want Versed, which is which is a, an anxiolytic that we often use preoperatively. In, in the, it's in the uh, benzodiazepine, so it's like Valium, in the same family mm -hmm. of drug as Valium. He won't let me give it. Um, so we've come to this, this plan that he, he would rather go to sleep with an inhalation anesthetic. So he breathes 
gas through a mask like we do with children. Because right. um, even with an IV, when he was, when he was able to get it, he doesn't like the Versa. The Versa makes him feel like he loses control. And I think at the end of the day, most people, that's their biggest problem initially, the loss of control. Yeah. I mean, you you have to give up control. I tell my patients who get this, and again, we get it a lot. So you go in there, and you know that they're like, we'll get. A, sometimes we get the warning that they're very anxious, or or they've had an issue in the past, or whatnot. And I tell them, you know, I have the same feeling they have when I get on airplane, and I fly a lot. But I, you know, I have to give up control, and I'm a controlling person. I'm usually in control when I'm at work. I have to give up control to somebody I don't know who, in essence, has my life as his or her hands for however long the flight is. And I say, you know, so it's similar. So I appreciate that. I understand what they're going through. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, some people will not allow that pre-op medication. And then it becomes a matter of just that relationship that we try to establish with the patient and the anesthesiologist. And I have found that if you just try to understand, be empathetic, sympathetic, understand that everybody's going through something, right? We're all going through something. And... Uh, Instead of being judgmental or argumentative or saying, you know, I'm the doctor, I don't feel that that helps either. And uh, I've had more often than not, I've been able to talk people either into a little bit of sedation or keeping their anxiety levels low enough that we can get to the operating room and then proceed with the anesthetic. Ultimately, we're going to need to give you something if you're having surgery, right. um, whatever we're doing, if it's a spinal or, nerve or general anesthesia. At some point, you're going to have to take medication. But um, the question could be whether they're going to allow some pre-operative sedation with those that other correct. class of drugs. That becomes a thing. I think uh, it, just knowing the procedure there. So, uh, you know, let's go over that a little bit. So somebody's going in for some sort of procedure, whether they're in a, you know, an outpatient facility or they're in the hospital in, in the operating suite. This is a standard kind of thing. Yes, there's, there could be a little bit of pre-op sedation just to keep things under control, keep the blood pressure down, keep you from going into freak-out mode. That's a normal thing, isn't it? Very. I, I'd say 99% of my patients I give pre-anesthetic uh, sedation to. Because even somebody who comes in who doesn't claim to be, you know, so phobic or, or really having what they would call perioperative anxiety, people are still nervous. And I've heard you actually in one of your podcasts mention that, you know, anxiety is physical and mental. And, you know, we worry about the physical state because these people come in so anxious, it affects the heart rate, it affects the blood pressure, it affects oxygen consumption, you can put patients into irregular heart rhythms, they can be more difficult to anesthetize, they have more, uh, more nausea and vomiting afterwards, can have increased pain afterwards. So really, controlling that preoperative anxiety, to me, is it's not just to make you feel better in terms of relaxing before surgery there are real side effects and, and and issues that we have to deal with when you're that worked up i've seen people with pressure blood pressures and pulses that are abnormally high to the point that i go i don't know if we can proceed like this yeah. so a lot of times we do have to give something if for no other reason for that so um, it's, you know it's going to make the procedure a little bit more effective go a little bit easier your job becomes easier to keep them safe and all of those things absolutely yeah, yeah. One one of the big concerns that people have, you mentioned that, you know, the preoperative meds that you use are in the benzo class. And 
you know, you have to understand that some of the folks that are listening to me, the, the fears are, are irrational. They know that. And, and there's a lot of fear-based distortions. And, you know, the, the concern sometimes with those medications is, oh, wait, a benzo. Like, I can't take a benzo. I'm going to become addicted to it. So I don't know if you ever had anybody object to that because they're afraid to become addicted to it. But, you know, this is a dose. It's one dose, you know, preoperatively. That, there, there's not a concern here, I'm guessing. Um, you know, I try to, to tell them the same thing with narcot. People who abuse or have had a history of abusing narcotics come in and they're concerned that they're going to get narcotic benzodiazepines. And you try to tell them that if you look at the people who develop, uh, develop dependence on this, they're not usually taking it. They might start for pain, I suppose. I don't want to make it sound like they're not starting it for pain. But at some point, if you're taking it for pain, you don't usually get addicted right away from that. One dose one dose of Versa. Versa is a great drug because it has a very short half-life also. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to get addicted to Versa. Um, so I, I try to tell them that in, in, in the risk versus benefit category, you know, depending on how bad their anxiety is pre-op, what their blood pressure is, their pulse, what the procedure is, I'm trying to tell them that the risk of it is, so the risk of becoming dependent on it from this one dose is probably a lot less than, you know, the risk of not having it and having a heart attack pre-op or perioperatively or, yeah. or whatnot. And you will be more nauseous afterwards, getting pain, get needing medication or needing to be admitted to the hospital overnight when we didn't have to otherwise. So yeah. there are definitely, just like anything else we do in medicine, we always weigh risk versus benefit. For the most part, the risk is, the benefit far outweighs the risks of these drugs. Especially yeah, with that like as a concern. Yeah. Excellent. One of the uh, the other things that comes up, and this is just a, a recent thing that, that came up in my community. There are people who are literally nervous that, because they view their panic and their anxiety as so extreme and so bad and worse than everybody else's, that they're literally concerned that they will panic at such a level where the anesthesiologist will not be able to anesthetize them. Like somehow the anesthesia will literally bounce off them like bullets off a of Superman. And I, when rational and calm, they understand that that's not true. But can you address that for a second? Have you ever, I'm guessing in your 25 years, you never had that happen. I am, as I tell, I tell my patients, I'm like Rocky Marciano. I am undefeated. When it comes to me versus the patient, I've never lost. The, uh, you're not going to sleep fight. Um, but it can, I mean, I've seen patients require, you know, you look at a, a small woman who comes in and you say, oh, she's not going to take a lot, but they're very anxious. And, you know, it does affect the dose of medication. It can affect how, you know, maybe it takes a couple more seconds. But the stuff we use is so potent in terms of that that it's really hard. And the one drug that we use routinely for, if we're talking about either sedation or, gen- or the induction of general anesthesia is propofol which makes people, which in and of itself makes people nervous nowadays. I can't tell you the number of people who come in and say, am I going to get the Michael Jackson medication? Right. And, you know, we tell them, yes, you're going to get the same medication that Michael Jackson had, but you're going to get it by an anesthesiologist, not by the doctor who gave it to Michael Jackson. Um, So, but that drug is, I'm not sure you can get addicted to that drug. Um, First of all, if you tried to use it, you and if you use it in the wrong dose, you probably would only use it once. Yeah. So it's yeah, not a drug it. that people really build up a tolerance to. Now, just like any other anesthetic or drug that we use, if you drink alcohol a lot, or if you take a lot of the people who are on uh, these anxiety medications or depression medications, uh, some of those drugs really can rev up your own system. So you can chew up through an anesthetic pretty fast. 
and you might need more, but you will not. I mean, I've again, I'm undefeated. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I love that the way you say that. I'm like the Rocky Marciano of putting people to sleep. And the then Tyson. Yeah, right there, people laugh. People laugh. You know, people, and I think good. I think once people start to, I think a lot of anxiety is related to the lack of information. People just don't know. Anesthesia is this realm that people don't understand. So I think that lack of information, whether you have a baseline anxiety order or not anxiety disorder or not mm. i think that lack of information really is you know makes people very nervous yeah i think you're right and then the fear there is that like literally the propofol is going to bounce off them like bullets off a of superman or they'll wind up in some sort of it'll take too long for them to go to sleep and like it's important to really stress what you just said like we might be talking about a few extra seconds we're not talking right. about 30 that, minutes yeah. of like this crazy half dream state horrific like science fiction movie thing couple of seconds, extra seconds. Correct. That's about it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about like the unknown thing. And like you were saying, even before we hit the record button, we were talking a little bit about, you know, how you try to like quickly build some sort of relationship and rapport sometimes with a patient that you are literally meeting for the first time and then may not ever see again. So, you know, that definitely contributes to the anxiety level. Is I mean, how does a patient really kind of speak up about that when they know they have to do this procedure? It's far before they ever get to you guys. You know, being able to be educated as to, oh, no, it will work like this. This will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. I think a lot of times they just don't get that information. So how can they get that information? Who should they talk to? I think when you go in for your, when you begin with your pre-op assessment, because most places, even if it, they'd be it, but nowadays with COVID, a lot of it's over the phone, but be it by phone or in that visit that people make with uh, at the hospital, we have a pre, we have a preoperative clinic at the surgery centers. Patients, we go. We have a, a staff of people going through charts, and then the charts are gone over by the anesthesiologist. So I think if you make it known that you want to be called by an anesthesiologist, like in our department, if you if you call the department or or have the nurse practitioner, you see that the, when you come in for your pre-op, you let them know that you really want to speak to an anesthesiologist before surgery. Then we'll have one of the anesthesiologists call and discuss with with the patient over the phone. Right. Uh, we have. We have the ability when people come into the clinic, it's in the hospital. So if you really, you know, we could try to grab an anesthesiologist and just grab anybody. And just, some people don't, I mean, they don't care who they're talking to. They just need some answers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. know, obviously, if you're in the know, if you know somebody, requesting, I think, you know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe some departments won't allow it. We've allowed it through the years because we don't want to tell patients if they want somebody, they can't have them. I think that helps people feel more comfortable. Like I say, if I, a handful of patients, this one I'm telling you about earlier, I, they won't have their surgery if I'm not their anesthesiologist. And I don't claim to be any better than my 52 partners. They just, we've, we've struck this bond and they know that I care and that I, this, this gentleman that I took care of recently told me of all that he's had multiple surgeries for issues through the years. This is the best he's ever felt. He just felt like I understand him and I did everything I could to make him comfortable. And he looked much better this time than any time I've taken care of him. And I think that's just, uh, we've, we've known each other for years, but we've established this doctor-patient relationship. And yeah. he knows that I hear him. And I think it's important to feel like you're being heard. I mean, patients, if, I've seen patients who, and they'll tell me who their anesthesiologist was, if they've come from another hospital or if they've been in my hospital. 
And I remember that's a name I know. And I, and in the back of my mind, I go, I understand why this person is a little anxious because I know not everybody has that same ability to communicate and, and not everybody is as sympathetic or as empathetic as somebody else's. So there's a, you know, just like a surgeon or anything, just like anybody, any other profession, there's, there's variety in how people, how the anesthesiologists I know deal with patients, I guess. Some people get frustrated with patients who are this anxious. Yeah. And that just makes the anxiety worse. So I think I think the key is establishing that pre-op, if you're really that nervous, to make it be known with the nurse practitioner or the PA or, or whoever is seeing the patient for the workup preoperatively. Let it know that, you know, I had surgery time and I, a lot of people say they, they sell stuff. They woke up during anesthesia. They were terribly nauseous. They, the anesthesiologist was rude. Whatever it is. Yeah. Let it be known. And yeah. let that and then then it then it's a flag and then we're looking for the flag. So if there's a flag, at least we can address it. If there's we don't know, then we, we can't address it obviously until the day we walked in and by then you could be, you know, at a thousand degrees. That makes perfect sense. So I think the, the advice here is like, if this is something you're very nervous about, then speak up, you know, ask to speak to somebody who's going to be involved in the sedation, in the anesthesia, and, you know, ask to just be walked through it. It doesn't sound like a big effort to take 10 minutes. Uh, and clearly you're willing to do that. And you're, you're in your hospital, you guys are willing to do that. So, you know, if, if you're hearing this and you're nervous about that, then, then speak up and ask. Let, let's hit one more quick topic to wrap it up. So you don't get to build. It's clearly unusual that you have a long-standing relationship with that one particular patient because most people are not going through multiple surgeries. So I think they don't get to build, you know, with the one procedure, a rapport with you or a relationship with you or whoever the anesthesiologist is. Let's talk about the relationship by proxy. So your surgeon, your GP, your, your medical team, I'm guessing that you guys are not just like you know, it's not a wheel of fortune. Let's spin the wheel and, hey, Frank Catanzaro, he'll do this one. I'm guessing that you're, you're generally working with the same surgeons, the same teams over and over and over. You build those relationships with them, I'm guessing. Well, absolutely. I work with the problem. Well, yes, yes. And I don't want to say it's a wheel of fortune, but to some degree, like, so take my group, for example. We have 50-some-odd partners now. We cover three hospitals and three surgery centers in the Rochester, New York area. So I could go in theory six days and go somewhere else. And then on the seventh day, be at the same place for the first time since the last week. So we're working with, and a lot of the surgeons go to multiple places also. So I'll see some of the surgeons at different places, but the two community hospitals that we go to, the surgical staff's a little different than the big hospital in Rochester where we go. So I work with them. And at this point, I'm, when I no, there's not a surgeon I walk in a room and I don't know and I haven't worked with extensively. The problem is he doesn't know who's going to be the anesthesiologist in that room uh, till the day before. Okay. For the most part, unless you've requested your anesthesiologist, he doesn't know. There's only in our for our department, uh, we have the only specialty department we have is cardiac anesthesia. So that's mm. a subgroup of our department. So if you're having heart surgery. They can guess. They can tell you the, the eight names that it might be. And on that day, they can figure it out by asking our office which of the three it's going to be. Yeah. So you've, you've at least narrowed it down. But it's hard otherwise. And I imagine a lot of places do it the way we do, where it's not, I don't want to use it. It sounds so 
like we don't care if you're you know, just spinning a wheel, but <laughs> that's, I'm going to guess how a lot of places do. We, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. My wife, I can't tell you the number of times my wife will call and say, you know, what are we doing tomorrow? And I haven't, I don't even know my schedule yet. I've got to, I don't know it till, you know, between nine o'clock and two o'clock most days. I don't know what I'm doing until the next day until then. Yeah. So, yeah. So it is, that is a little bit, I mean, that contributes and it probably always will contribute to that kind of problem. So I yeah. think that's why it's for, these, for patients, it's just best to start as soon as you can. When you're in your surgeon's office, let them know it's an issue. Maybe they can, you know, and ask, how do I get this, this, this known before I get to the operating room? And then when you get pre-op, your pre-op evaluation again, and if it's really a problem, just ask to be spoken to by the nurse anesthetist, by the anesthesiologist. You might not get the one, but it, it, I've talked to a lot of patients about pre-op issues that I haven't taken care of. And through a tea, just, they just want to talk to somebody and just get some information. And I just think knowing something makes people feel better. Yeah, just having some right. information alleviates a lot of their anxiety. Yeah, when you take away the unknown, that's always a big problem for a lot of these folks. And if they can at least have some predictability, this is what's going to happen. Even though, they, even if they don't know the exact name of the doctor that's going to walk in, at least knowing right. that this is how we did it, and we've done this ten thousand times in the last you know year, so it, it's okay. Um, really good. I, this is I, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to do this. It was incredibly informative. I learned a whole lot. And I know that people listening have, and um, yeah, I, this is one of those topics that's just been lingering for a while. So I'm, I'm thank you so much for taking the time to come and address my, it with me. I appreciate it's it. My pleasure. Anything I can do to help, I, my pleasure. Very good. Very good. All right. We'll we'll uh, kind of end it here. I'll do the outro when we're done. But uh, I guess we're out. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad I could help us. Uh, let me know if I can. Uh, you know, you could. You want to do further elaboration at some point or address specific topics i'm happy to help very good if i get any questions maybe i'll pass them along we'll do that great all right cool thanks frank all right how good was that really <laughs> how good was that uh my cousin's awesome so anyway i hope you guys have found that informative if that is an issue for you and it is for so many people and we don't talk about it enough hopefully this has helped if you have any questions you know, uh, send them over any way you can get at me, I guess, although private messaging is so hard these days. But uh, send them over, join the Facebook group, comment there, whatever you can do. Um, I will try to pass them along to uh, to my cousin, Frank, the anesthesiologist. We'll try and get your questions answered best we can. Uh, I have to ask, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or somewhere that you can rate or review it, take a moment and leave a rating and maybe write a review. It helps other people find it. And uh, I'm going to play you out with Ben Drake doing Afterglow. You can find Ben at facebook.com slash ben drake music thank you for coming and hanging out with me again for another half hour i will see you guys next week it's in the lyrics of the songs we know it's in these feelings that you never show yeah you're doing fine it's all around you you can breathe it in and this is where your story begins you got the feeling that you're gonna win Yeah, you're doing fine Now in the city